could I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, we're going to read that together in a moment. I was mentioning at the earlier service that uh, it took me about six or nine months to get used to preaching to a camera, and just when I thought I had that in my comfort zone, it's uh, been quite daunting again to be back in front of people, but so grateful that, um, that we are here not to, to see me, but to hear God's Word being read and um, and preach, that's been wonderful for me over the last year, to preach to no one, um, knowing that God will do with it what He pleases. And we continue to pray that He would do that each week as His Word is, um, is preached here at Honeyridge and for those who are, are listening in at home. So we're going to read together Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. This is our next parable. Uh, the, the workers in the vineyard or the laborers in the vineyard, another fairly well-known parable if you've grown up in church or you've grown up uh, in, in a Christian home. But let's come to this this morning and with fresh eyes and hearts and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us through the reading and the preaching of his word. I'm reading to you from the English Standard Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Well, this is the portion of God's word that we are coming to consider this morning. This is our ninth a parable in our study, in our series on the parables of Jesus. And it also brings us to the very last of our first section of parables. The first section that we've been looking at are all, have all been focused on entering into the kingdom of God. What does it mean to become a true Christian? And then next week, uh, Lord willing, we will start with the second group of parables which focus on growing in God's kingdom. But we have one more important spiritual lesson to learn this morning about what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. But before we jump into the, the parable itself of these workers in the vineyard, we must just consider the, the biblical context of this parable in order to understand why Jesus told it. And so take a look at chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, it starts with the word for. 
And whenever you see a for or a therefore, it means that what is about to come is closely linked and follows on from what has gone before. And so we need to look a little bit further back. And we look back to chapter 19 and verse 30, and we see the the following. Chapter 19, verse 30. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, unless you've got the memory of a goldfish, that should ring a bell. All right, because we've just read that. It was the very last verse that we'd read together in chapter 20, verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. And so this phrase then is, is a kind of a bookend uh, on either side of this parable which Jesus told. And, and this is one of the, the ways in which the biblical writers would often bring out the key meaning or the point of what is in between the two bookends. And so uh, in order to understand the parable, we need to understand it in the light uh, of the statement that precedes it and ends it. And in the previous section, so we need to go back to chapter 19 and verse 30 and say, well, why did Jesus say what he said there? And so that means we need to look a bit further back into chapter 19, and we'll see that this is a fairly well-known story of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, a rich young man who would have been considered first among his peers. He was wealthy, he had a position of authority, he was probably very popular, well-liked, and a very religious man. And he comes and he asks Jesus, what does he need to do in order to be saved? And Jesus told him that he must obey all the commands of God as laid out in the Ten Commandments, to which this young man replies that he has done all of those things since his youth. Here is a man who is very confident in his own spiritual, moral track record. He's got a great moral CV, great accomplishments, many great credible references, people who would have gladly said, here is a good, fine young man. And, and so this man comes to Jesus now to check perhaps if there is anything else that he needs to do in order to get into heaven. And Jesus replied that he should do one thing, just one more thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, to someone who has fully obeyed the Ten Commandments for all of his life, as he claimed, that should not be a big ask. And yet we are told that the man went away from Jesus sorrowful because he had great wealth. Now, if we compare this man of chapter 19 with the two men previously last week, we see a striking difference. Last week we saw two men who were quick to sell everything that they had in order to obtain this treasure, this hidden treasure, or this pearl of great price. But this man clearly did not treasure the gospel. He did not treasure a relationship with God above all things. He, he wanted God plus the treasures of this world. And so this claim of Jesus over his life of, of total devotion was all too much for him, and he went away sad. And on seeing this, Jesus then spoke to his disciples in chapter 19, verse 23 to 30. And he tells them that it is only with much difficulty that a rich person can enter into heaven. Because, as we've seen previously in the parable of the sower, that the power and the deceitfulness of of riches, they come in and they choke the spiritual life out of a person and make it very hard 
for a rich person, a person who treasures the things of this world, uh, to devote themselves fully to God. So I think already we see the principle which Jesus is about to illustrate, that many who are first in this world, first in terms of riches, first in terms of outward moral obedience, they will end up lost in the kingdom of God. You see, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. You remember last year when Dave took us, uh, well, the year before now, when Dave took us through the Sermon on the Mount, the the series was called the the upside-down kingdom. God's kingdom does not operate according to the standards of this world. So Jesus says many who are first in this world will be last, and many who are last in this world will be first in the kingdom of heaven. But then the story goes on, and it takes a little bit of a turn here in verse 27, where Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, starts to think about what Jesus has just told this rich young ruler, and then he starts to realize, but you know what? We've given up so much for Jesus, to follow Jesus. I wonder what that means for us when we get to heaven. And so in verse 27, Peter said, See, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the kingdom of heaven, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But... Many who are first will be last, and the last first. So that's the context leading up to verse 30, and the context then that brings us into chapter 20. Jesus has just witnessed this rich young man walking away from the kingdom of heaven, sad because he loved his money more than God. But then he also saw Peter, and he saw in Peter a dangerous tendency amongst Christians, particularly, to think that somehow we can contribute to or earn our way into eternal life, that that we can somehow earn the grace of God. And a a spiritual pride so easily creeps into many Christians who, who would say things like, look at all that I've given up for God. Look at all the things I've done to serve God in the church. Surely then God will be very happy with me and he will reward me with great things in heaven. And Jesus assures Peter and he assures all of us in this life who have given up things for God that we will be blessed abundantly in the life to come. But that blessing will never be earned. If you think that it's going to be earned, if you think it's a reward for Uh, The things that you've done, be careful because Jesus says many who think that you are first in these things will end up being last. And those who are last will be first. And so to, to illustrate this point more clearly, Jesus now turns to tell another parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And the main point, the main spiritual reality, this hidden spiritual reality which Jesus wants to reveal in this parable by means of laying it aside an earthly story is that the kingdom of God, the the gospel of our salvation, it is all about the grace of God. It's about the undeserving favor of God to us. It's not based on our performance. 
but it is only based on God's generosity towards us, His grace alone. Last week, you'll remember that Jesus taught us to treasure the gospel. It's something that we do not attain through birthright or racial identity. It's a treasure for all to grasp. It must be valued. And this week, Jesus teaches us that this treasure cannot be earned. It cannot be achieved through our own efforts or religious duty. It's all a work of His free grace. So let's come to our text then this morning and uh, in chapter 20. And the first thing that I, I want us to see is two types of worker in verses 1 to 7. Now you might say, well, hang on, I, I see at least five different groups of workers in this story. But what you will see if we look a little bit closer is that there are in actual fact only two groups. The first group are what I'm calling the contract workers. Uh, these are the ones who were hired at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I call them contract workers because you will see uh, in verse 1 to 7 that the master goes out and he establishes a contract with them. There's an agreement which takes place. You will work for me for 12 hours and I will pay you one denarius. This was the standard day's wage which was then negotiated between the master and the workers. Verse 2 specifically tells us it was only after agreeing on the terms of the contract that the men went out into his vineyard. So that's the first group, the contract workers. The second group of workers are, however, quite different. And this really applies to all the rest. They are what we would call today casual laborers. Those that were hired at 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 3 in the afternoon, at 5 in the afternoon, um, that was the third, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh hour of the Jewish day. And notice that the second group, none of them enter into any kind of agreement with the master. They simply hear the call to enter the vineyard with a promise that the master will do what is right in return. He says, go into my vineyard and I will do what is right. Now we must remember that Jesus here is not trying to give us any kind of practical advice on, on farm labor relations or remuneration policies in a company. He's telling a fictitious story to illustrate this spiritual truth. And so we must not get too bogged down or sidetracked in the details of this story uh, and debate whether this is a good way to run a farm or not. I, I doubt it is. But what we know from reality, even in our own day and age, is that those who commit to working for you for a full day will usually want to know the terms of employment up front. They will want a contract. They will want to know, I'm going to work from this time to this time, and you're going to pay me how much. But usually, if you pick up a guy who's been standing around waiting for work for three hours or six hours or nine hours, or maybe he's even been waiting for 11 hours, usually if you pick up that casual laborer, they will be very happy to just go and do any work, and they usually won't press the issue regarding their compensation. And so we see this portrayed in the 11th hour worker, men ready and available to work, it seems, who've not been given a job all day. Now, we don't want to get too sidetracked here, but the point is the master went out multiple times during the day. Where were those guys the previous times? Um, we aren't told, but uh, it does come out that they were lazy, they were idle. But nevertheless, at the 11th hour, they are called and, uh, and they told, why are you not working? And they said, well, no one has hired us, uh, but we're available. 
Uh, and so the master then immediately sends them into his vineyard with only one hour of the day left to work. So I hope you can see that this parable is again, as all the others have done, clearly dividing all people into one of two groups. In this case, we have the contractor and we have the casual laborer, the one who's agreed on negotiated terms of employment in the vineyard and one who has entered in without a legal contract in place. All right, so let's move on then in the second place to see two approaches to reward, also in verses 1 to 7. And, and this is to be expected. I mean, if you enter into an employment contract, there's an expectation that you will be treated in accordance with that contract. If you're a casual laborer, then what is expected of you and what you'll be paid is not that well defined. Again, we need to disconnect ourselves from too much of a practical reality here and think about the spiritual reality which is Jesus is revealing through this parable. I think what Jesus is trying to illustrate here is the whole matter of works versus faith. You see, the first worker, the contractor, he was given a legal contract. You do this for me, and in return, I will pay you that. You work for 12 hours, and I'll give you a denarius. It was clear-cut. It was well-defined. The wage paid at the end of the day was agreed to beforehand as the reward uh, for the day's work. But the second group didn't have this agreement. They were picked up during the day and sent into the vineyard on the basis of faith. Why do I say that? Well, all that they had to go on was the master's word, was the master's promise. Go and work, and I will give you what is right. Did they have that in writing? Did they have a legal agreement as to how much they would receive? No, they had none of that. Did they have actually any indication that they would be paid at all? Well, they don't, really. All they have is the word of the master, that he would do what is right. And so they enter into the field on the basis of faith in the master. they trusting him to do what is right. So this second group, they go out at nine, then at twelve, another group at three, and some at five. They all go out on the basis then of faith in the master as opposed to the first group who had this legal contract in place. And so then I think it's time to make the spiritual connection to the two groups whom Jesus is now referring to. What is the spiritual hidden reality that Jesus is referring to? And here Jesus is again dividing us into two groups, those who are religious people, the contract people, and those who I'm calling true Christians, the faith people. Those who respond to the master on the basis of his word and his promise. You see, religious people, particularly in the context of Judaism or today in religions like Islam and, and even within much of what would be called Christianity today, there are religious people who are basing their eternal salvation one day on their own performance, on their works. Religious people believe that if they do certain things, God will then owe them eternal life. If they do certain things for God, religious things, good things, serving in the church, serving in the ministries of the church, God will owe them blessing. If they, if they give, sell, uh, give sacrificially to the, the ministry of the church, God will owe them in proportion to, to what they've done. There's an owing in response to my doing. In other words, that's the contractual or the legal approach to salvation. If I do this for God, 
God is in my debt. He will owe me. And in the context of which Jesus was speaking here, these 6 a.m. workers, these contract workers, was a clear reference to the religious Jewish people of the day, men like the rich young ruler in the previous section, who outwardly believed that he had kept all the laws of God perfectly. And so he should be entitled to eternal life. But it goes deeper than that, because even Peter, we see, the apostle Peter, the disciple, had been with Jesus. He had the same tendency. He too felt that because he had given up so much to follow Jesus, that he was going to be entitled to some kind of reward in heaven as a payment for what he had done in his life on earth. And so while this parable can certainly and is applied to to the Jewish nation who are still bound up in their religious works while it applies to any other religion outside of Christianity uh, where they are pursuing a system of works-based righteousness. Nevertheless, I think Jesus is speaking much closer to home here, to the Peters among us here at Honey Ridge. People who are close to the things of God, who, who believe that somehow Our performance, our obedience, our willingness to love and serve in the context of the church, these things will all earn me a reward with God one day. God owes me because of what I've done for Him. You see, that's the one group. The other group is the true Christian, the faith people. They are people who did not enter into a contractual agreement with God. They were outside of the kingdom for perhaps a quarter of their lives, perhaps half of their lives, perhaps three quarters of their lives, or perhaps even those who never heard the call of God to enter his vineyard for 11 twelfths of their lives. A good example of that would surely be uh, the thief on the cross, people who entered at the very end of their lives. And and yet all of these people who who came in at whatever stage are people who entered in on the basis of faith, not knowing what God would give, but knowing that we don't deserve anything, that we could never rightfully claim anything from God, but simply we trust in God to do what is right. See, the, the two very different approaches to reward. One is based on works, on performance based on legalistic righteousness. The other is based on faith. It's based on the performance of God towards us, not based on our performance towards God. So this leads then to our final point on this parable, which is the two attitudes to salvation in verses 8 to 16. In this parable, Jesus is wanting to show us, and and I'm going to make a statement that you might be a bit confused at, but Jesus is wanting to show us that there are two legitimate different ways available to us to obtain salvation. Two ways are available to you and I. The one option is the option of the law, and the other option is the option of grace. Let's consider the law first. The first group of workers are treated on the basis of the law. Do this. And you will earn that. And we see that this is something very familiar to the Jews of Jesus' time. There are many times in the Old Testament where, where God says to his people, Obey my commandments and my statutes and you shall live. But is that just an Old Testament principle? Because even in the New Testament we find Jesus in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer comes to try and test Jesus, to trick him. And says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? 
How do you understand it? And the man answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the Old Testament makes it clear and Jesus now confirms in the New Testament that the one way to legitimately get to heaven is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And when you've got that right, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you will live. Contractually, God will owe you eternal life. That's how the law works. If you keep the law perfectly, completely for all your life, you will earn eternal life. And this is a perfectly legitimate option available to you and to me today. Salvation through the works of the law. The problem is that the Bible also reveals that this approach is impossible. Not only does history teach us that no natural man has ever been able to obey the law of God perfectly, but the Bible tells us it's not even possible. Romans 3 verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. None. Why? Because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The minute you try and take legalistic righteousness seriously, the more the law of God will expose your sinfulness. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.11, It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So, yes, although the approach to salvation is legitimate through the law, we know that it is impossible. For we are born sinners, we're born from conception with a sinful nature, we spend then the rest of our lives living in accordance with that sinful nature, and so no matter how much religion we can manage to pack on the outside, no matter how much good works we, we try and accomplish, from day one we are doomed to failure, because God's standard for righteousness is absolute perfectness. Absolute perfection, absolute holiness, nothing less. And so even the rich young ruler, I doubt any of us would even remotely seek to claim what he claimed. But even he saw that although he lived a, an outward life or claimed to live an, an outward life of perfection, Jesus makes one comment and his sinful heart is exposed. Just one statement from Jesus reveals that his heart was packed with sin, that he loved his money more than God, and all his hopes of achieving salvation through the law were dashed to pieces. As Jesus says, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Now, in contrast to the way of the law, Jesus shows us here another way to enter the kingdom. And it does not involve the law at all. It's not based on our works of performance. It's based on the grace of God. This second group of workers are the ones who realize that they missed the initial 6 a.m. call. I mean, even today, if, if a, a company says, we are employing a group of people, you've got to be at our gate at 6 in the morning, and you'll be taken in for the day's work. If you come at 5 past 6 or 10 past 6 or 7 or 9, your opportunity is gone. Your opportunity is gone. And, and these other workers, the ones who missed the 6 a.m. Uh, entrance, the call, they realize that they are being invited into the kingdom, into the vineyard, late in the day without any rights. 
They are entering into the kingdom purely based on the grace of the master. On faith in that what he says he will do is right. And Jesus does something very deliberate in this parable, which I don't ever think should be done normally in in farming practice and labor relations. But what he does in verse 8 is he says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, but start with the last and end with the first. So those who were hired about the 11th hour come forward, and what do they receive? A full denarius, a full day's wage. So when those who were hired first come, they thought they would receive much more. But each of them also received a denarius. What's going on here? I think Jesus is making the point clear that salvation is salvation. Whether you obtain it through the the perfect obedience of the law of God through your, your whole life, which is impossible, or whether you obtain it in the 11th hour of your life. Number 99, by the skin of your teeth. Nevertheless, the salvation that God gives is full and complete to all. The 11th hour worker, like the thief on the cross, the guy who got in right at the end, he got what? The full reward. The ninth hour worker, the, the, the sixth hour worker, the third hour worker, they all got the full reward. Now, please notice with me, did any of these workers, the three, six, nine, and 11 hour workers, did any of them complain that the one group got more than the other? No. Why is that? Because they realized that they all got in abundance far more than what they deserved. The grace of God to them was an overflowing grace that far exceeded anything that they might think they could claim from the Master. The grace of God overflowed to them. And they accepted this reward knowing that they did not deserve it. When God said He will do what is right, He did exceedingly abundantly above what they could have ever imagined. And that's exactly what grace is. That's what the gospel is. It's, it's grace. It's undeserved favor. It's unmerited blessing. It's an act of God's free will in choosing to bless those who do not deserve it. And this is the good news of salvation. This is that desperate sinners, third hour sinners, sixth hour, ninth hour, eleventh hour, we can be called into the kingdom of God. We can come in as young people, as boys and girls. I'm glad there's some teenagers here. I think most of the boys and girls are in Bible land this morning. But please take this home, parents, that boys and girls can come into the kingdom of God. That's the third hour, people. Teenagers. I was trying to do some maths uh, a little bit earlier. But probably if you between the ages of naught and 20, you're a third hour. If you're between 20 and 40, you're a sixth hour worker. If you're between 40 and 60, you're a ninth hour worker, and if you're above 60, you're 11th hour. Um, no matter who we are, no matter what age we are, what stage of life, you can come into the kingdom of heaven, and you will receive exceedingly, abundantly above that which you could ever have earned or deserved. Notice the response, however, of the contractors, the works of the law team, the 6 a.m. team. The religious guys, look at the ones who had worked all day in verse 11. When they received their one denarius, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last guys only worked for one hour, and you've made them 
them equal to us. We've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. What do we see here? We see one of bitterness, an attitude of bitterness towards the other workers and an attitude of resentment towards God. There's a very important warning for all of us here today. If you see in yourself any bitterness towards other Christians, Christians who you would rate have been less obedient than you, less faithful to God than you, people who you think have given up less than you've given up for God, and yet who seem to be more blessed. If you are harboring any kind of bitterness towards other Christians who you feel don't deserve what you deserve, Jesus is warning you this morning. You don't fully appreciate my grace. And if you really want me to measure you according to your obedience to the law, be careful. Because if I do that, you who think you are first will be lost. Perhaps you may also sense in your own heart a, a spirit of resentment towards God. Not just bitterness towards others, but resentment towards God. You feel that God has done you in. You've given up all for him, whatever that means. You've sacrificed much. And God hasn't rewarded you as the televangelist said he would. And so you feel robbed by God. You feel that God has perhaps cheated you. Jesus is warning you this morning, be careful. You don't understand my grace. You have not fully grasped the treasure of the gospel. And if you want me to reward you according to your performance, I will. But you will come up empty. Do you see how this comes out in these 6 a.m. workers? They grumble against God. You've made them equal to us. How can you do that? It's not fair. We are the ones who've slaved. Look at the language they use. We've labored. We've, we've borne the brunt of the, the heat of the day. It's been a heavy burden to serve you during this day. It's not fair. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 13. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Are you resenting me because of my grace? This is very scary. Jesus here rebukes the, the contract worker, the, the religious follower, this duty-bound Christian. He says, you chose to work for your salvation, and you are now treated in accordance with the law. That's what you wanted. Now take your pay and go. It's a very strong rebuke. In actual fact, it is a banishing from the vineyard. Go and don't come back. Verse 15 is very strong in the Greek. Where he says, do you begrudge me for my generosity? It literally says in the Greek, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your heart corrupted and twisted because I am a God of grace? The master is angry that his grace is being despised. The religious type of person will always turn the grace of God towards sinners in a uh, into a cause for, for grumbling and resentment. And so Jesus in this parable exposes the heart of any one of us who is trusting in our works for our salvation. What he basically says, it's a rejection of grace. 
You can't have both. You can't have salvation by grace plus my contribution of works. If you want to be saved by works, you are rejecting grace. And so this comes back to what we looked at last week. Have you lost sight of the treasure of the gospel? If you have, then your work for God in his kingdom will become a duty. It will become a responsibility done with, with, heavy, with a heavy heart. It will be like laboring in the heat of the day just to get your pay at the end. Have you lost sight of the grace of the gospel? Feeling that God somehow owes you because of what you are doing for him. This is very subtle. It creeps into all of our hearts. So this comes then to, to bring us to a point where we have to look at this warning that Jesus gives us. If you sense in yourself any bitterness towards other Christians, any resentment towards God, Jesus is saying you've drifted from grace into law. You've just drifted from faith into works. And this is not an uncommon thing. We find it throughout the New Testament. Look at the book of Galatians. People who believed the gospel, saved, and then wanted to go back to the law. No, we are called afresh this morning to, to recognize the treasure of the gospel, to, to see again our utter inability to ever earn anything from God, to ever do anything in our own strength, and to find in this treasure of the gospel the, the great rejoicing that comes from knowing that this is all of a work of God's grace towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one final application this morning, and, and it's the great encouragement to everyone who has not yet responded to the call of the Master to enter his vineyard. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, how long you've hung around the town square in laziness and crime, and, and the, the commentators tell us that those who were hired later in the day were either lazy or criminals, because they weren't there at six o'clock. They were trying to pursue either sleeping late, or criminal activity until that produced nothing and they came into the square late in the day. It doesn't matter how long you have ignored the call of the Master. The fact that you are here today, the fact that you're hearing this message means that it's not too late. He's calling you. He's calling you to enter the vineyard and He has promised to do what is right. He has not promised to give you what you deserve. Praise God for that. He's promised to do what is right to you in grace. You see, there's only ever been one 6 a.m. worker. There's only ever been one contract worker who ever fully obeyed the law of God perfectly. From birth to death. And that is none other than the Master's own Son, Jesus. He came and He perfectly obeyed the contractual requirements of the law and thereby earned himself eternal life. But guess what? He didn't need it because he is Jesus. He is God himself. And so what he does is he gets put outside of the vineyard. He gets nailed to a cross and takes upon himself the, the wrath of God for the, the sins of all the six o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock and eleven o'clock workers like you and me. He takes our sin upon himself and in return he gives us the full reward of an eternal righteousness that he has earned if we turn to him in faith. 
And so I, I just appeal to you today to hear the call of the Master. Accept by faith His grace which is offered to you in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can enter into the kingdom and work for the Master. Work out of gratitude. Work out of delight because He has given to you the greatest of all treasures. Why would you not want to devote your life to Him? So you will work for Him not to earn a reward, but to live a life of gratitude for that perfect salvation that He has already given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as I close this morning, I I want to ask you to think about which person in this story, the six o'clock, the the three o'clock, the six, let me get my times right here, six o'clock, nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock. Which person in this story do you think was the most happy and the most blessed of all? Made your vote in your head? Okay. If you think that it was the 11th hour guy, the guy who got the full reward at the very end, then you don't yet understand the fullness of the gospel and the parable that Jesus has told. Why do I say that? Because the most blessed of all the people in our parable must surely be those who were called into the kingdom of God at an early age. Those who have then their whole lives ahead of them to joyfully serve the master in his vineyard. So to any young, any under 20s here today, any under 20s here today, you are the most blessed people in all the world because you have heard the call of the master at an early age. And if you come into his vineyard through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the rest of your life to serve the master. And there is no greater joy in all this world. And after the service, if you were to go up to anyone who's got silver dust on top of their heads, and you were to speak to anyone in the, in the ninth or the eleventh hour of their lives, particularly those who came to Christ very late in life, they will all tell you that their greatest regret, their greatest regret is that they did not heed the call of Jesus Christ when they were young. They've missed out on a lifetime of serving their master. And so if you accept his call today, no matter what stage of life you are in, you have the rest of your life left to serve this gracious master in his kingdom. What a wonderful privilege that is. So my last comment then is, however, a sad one. And that is that too often when we look around the context of Christianity, it seems to be very often that those who have been Christians the longest who are the grumpiest. And that is a sign. If that's you this morning, just in a little way, that is a sign that you've drifted from grace into law. Jesus is calling all of us today. If if serving Him in His kingdom has become a chore, has become a grind, has become a burden, it's because you've lost sight of the treasure. You've lost sight of the the grace of God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've drifted from grace into law. And so he's calling all of us this morning, young and old, rich and poor, religious and irreligious, come to the Master today, find anew the, the great grace of God towards sinners in the salvation offered to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this portion of your word, this very parable told by 
your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to reveal to us how to enter into the kingdom of God. And Lord, we come, we thank you for the blessings of being part of a a local church. We thank you for the many avenues of ministry and service that are available to us here at Honey Ridge. But we want to come and ask that you would forgive us when we have perhaps turned this opportunity to serve you both in the church and out in the world, wherever you've placed us. We've turned it into a burden, into a duty, thinking that we must just push through so that we'll earn the reward one day thinking that by doing these things, by slogging along in the Christian life, somehow you will owe us a reward. Oh, Lord God, forgive us for having drifted from grace into law. Bring us back, we pray afresh today, to a true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His perfect righteousness accomplished on our behalf, that we will not look to do anything to earn anything from you, for that is futile, but that our lives would be devoted to serving you out of gratitude, for all that you have given to us in this life and all that awaits us in the life to come. Where would we be apart from your grace to us this morning? And so we thank you for this uh, clear parable which Jesus told us. May we all enter in, those who have not entered and those who are in but have drifted like Peter. Forgive us, we pray, and restore us in our hearts to the treasure of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.